Hello and welcome to another edition of the New and Living Way, a Hebrews podcast. I am Ethan, very glad that you've joined us. Thank you for the gift of spending time as we explore what God has made known to the Hebrews author. We continue in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 29. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Hebrews 11 is this great hall of faith, where the Hebrews author is doing this great exhortation based upon all of these uh, people of faith that the audience that he is speaking to would understand. Uh, this is all coming out of the end of chapter 10. Chapter 10 had concluded all what came before to really demonstrate what the he, uh, Hebrews author really wanted his audience to do in terms of holding fast in their faith, drawing near to God, um, to stir up one of the love and good works. And he points out that they had been doing those things and they were growing weary though. And he's trying to encourage them to persevere in faith. That it's the righteous one who will live by his faith in Habakkuk 2. And that we are of those people who have faith and do not shrink back in disobedience. And really, the rest of the exhortation that he has is coming out of what that faith looks like and what they need to do to maintain and encourage that faith. We've seen how he's gone through and looked at the creation, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and now Moses. And we've indicated throughout how the Hebrews author expects in a, that his audience already knows these stories. There is no understanding that we're supposed to take from this to say, oh, I didn't know that about so-and-so. These were all based upon stories already known. And so that's why we've been focusing and highlighting what does he emphasize. With Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, he emphasized how they did not uh, own anything they had. Then everything that they were looking at was kind of future-oriented. They're living in the promise. They were looking for that city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Moses, the focus of Moses, was on Moses really before uh, he became Moses, when he, uh, before he saw a burning bush, before uh, he led the people out of Egypt, when he made that fateful choice to no longer identify with the Egyptians and, and the pleasures of the world, but to identify with the people of God, even though they were enslaved and it was going to mean suffering. And that he moved forward in faith as seeing the one who is invisible, which ties back into the beginning, that everything that has been made came from what is invisible. And all of this to encourage this Hebrews audience that, yes, you are in distress, you, you, but you've made the right choice because you're searching for the reward. You can always go back to what's there, certainly, but you don't get the reward. You get the fate of everybody who, who churns back like that. Um, so, at the end of this section with Moses, he talked about how Moses, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now he moves on to talk about the crossing of the Red Sea, but he says here, the people, by faith, they. He doesn't identify who these people are, but we know who they are. They are the Israelites. And the fact that it's just they uh, here indicates that in previous, in verse 28, when we talk about Moses keeping the Passover, we're not just talking about Moses. We're also talking about how all Israel kept that Passover 
and that by faith the people crossed the Red Sea. But when the Egyptians tried to do it, uh, they were drowned. And this, as you can tell, is what we hear uh, about that generation. The only thing we hear about that generation here in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's because this is the moment where they displayed faith. Uh, when we go back to the story in Exodus 14, um, we understand that the faith that they had was there, but maybe not the most challenging. Uh, God had l told Moses to lead the people to this place. From what we can tell of this place uh, that they're at, there's no escape. There's no northern access or southern access. It's just the western access. And the Egyptian army has now come down that western access point. And so the only really way is through. And so this wall of water opens up. And there's dry land that they can walk on. And they cross it in faith. Now, there's a lot of important faith lessons here. Um, this is all being done through God's grace. Uh, water normally doesn't you know, create two heaps to let you walk through, right? This is uh, God delivering his people in a miraculous way. And none of it was possible if God had not done that. But... Just because God opened up didn't mean the people had to go through. They could have been afraid and just sat there and been died, killed or enslaved. So it did take faith to walk through. And, and imagine yourself with these Israelites, having seen all the things that God has done, but now seeing the Egyptian army coming. In fact, they asked Moses, uh, did, were there not of graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to the wilderness to die? That's not like they're like, all right, Moses, we're waiting for that next miracle to save us here. No, they were fully expecting to die. And then, of course, this great miracle takes place and the water opens up. And uh, it does take faith to walk through. And I think that's what the Hebrews author is trying to focus on his audience is, you know, walking through that. Because you're walking through that and you're doing it with God's protection. The water walls are on either side. But it's hard to do that without wondering that if at any moment that grace stops, you're drowning and you're dead. And so there is that life and trusting faith walking through that water. And you can profitably turn that into a metaphor for the walk of the Christian. The whole wilderness experience is really that way, being delivered from the world uh, on the way to the promised land. And you go through the wilderness where there is desert and there is an inhospitable terrain and there's enemies around and there's always a danger of... Um, losing strength and sustenance. Uh, but even here in the middle of the water, because in the middle of the water here, you are completely in God's grace at that point. You are completely trusting in God in as much as you are doing something that otherwise would be insane. You're walking through the Red Sea. And you are aware that theoretically those waters could come over you at any time, but you persevere in faith that God has brought you into this moment. God will lead you out of this moment. And so whether it's in a moment of trial that we find ourselves having to go back to this or just looking at our life in general like this, it's a profitable metaphor to see uh, the faith that it takes to walk in the midst of the waters. Even though God's done all the work, so to speak, and God is doing all the work, it's the same with our salvation. God is doing so much to save us, right? God has already sent Jesus. God has actively sustained the creation. God has called us and justified us, predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son. There's all these things that God has done. In, and what's on God's side of the ledger, well beyond anything that would be on ours. But we still need to walk in it. We still need to walk in that trust and faith that God is going to sustain and strengthen us through, as Israel did here. At this point, you, you see that the Hebrews author has kept very close to the text in Genesis and Exodus. 
uh, we've seen a pretty consistent pattern where we see people being mentioned in in um, in good order. We've we've gone through from the creation in Genesis one to uh, Abel in Genesis four and Enoch in Genesis five, Noah of Genesis six through. Uh, nine Abraham in Genesis 11 and following with Isaac Jacob Joseph for the rest of Genesis the beginning of Mo uh, the text with Moses in Exodus 1 and 2 um, now the, the the moment of the Passover Exodus 12 Exodus 14 with the uh, journeying out of Egypt uh, the destruction of the Egyptians as well uh, there because the, the worldly do not get the benefit of the promise uh, you would now expect something about maybe in the wilderness uh, but the wilderness generation is otherwise not mentioned. And it's important to note, why did he not mention them? Well, the fact of the matter is he has mentioned them. All the way back in chapter 3, when he explained Psalm 95, and how that generation, the wilderness, fell as a pattern of disobedience. And as a negative example, that you should not follow their pattern lest you also not enter God's rest, because as God swore in his wrath, they will never enter my rest. And so uh, th they're not an example of faith. The only example of faith they are here is that they walk through when God did this great miracle. Otherwise, they're an example of what happens when you don't have faith, when you simply complain and always look for the negative and never see the hand of God at work in your life and trusting that he will work again. So that generation is understood not to be there. But we would expect, maybe, that we had at least two guys of commendable faith there, Caleb and Joshua especially, right? They were among the spies. They saw the land. They said, no, God can give us this land. Joshua was one who led Israel into the promised land and the conquest. And he's kind of there because by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. He is one of the ones encircling the walls. He is leading the people in encircling the walls. But he's not explicitly mentioned. Who is explicitly mentioned? Um, Rahab. The walls of Jericho falling in Rahab. And the walls of Jericho falling, uh, by faith, uh, certainly indicates the faith of the people. We'll get to that in a moment, but there's the focus is not on the people, it's on the walls of Jericho. And then we have Rahab. And it's at this point that the Hebrews author decides to shift his pattern. Uh, we understand this as speakers. You know, if you start giving people examples of things, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and you get to the point where you understand, I could be here all day, they could be here all day, and um, this this is not going to be profitable for us to keep going this way. And so we have something, and I could add more examples, and, and or and so on. I mean, etc. is what we use for that in writing. And that's what the Hebrews author does here rhetorically. What more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of all these people. And he mentions, you know, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Sam, the prophets. And there's a lot to talk about there with who's being mentioned, why some of them are being mentioned in this periods of Judges and afterward. And there's a lot of encouragement to be gained from Israel after this time, all the way to getting much closer to the present of the Hebrews author. But it's interesting to note where he makes this division, and he stops. And he, he stops it with Israel entering the land. And there's, a, there's probably a significance there. That the emphasis, the people of faith he's emphasizing are those who lived before the promise of the land was fulfilled. Who lived in the promise without seeing it fully realized. And that 
it's not that those who lived in the land didn't maintain faith, don't have lessons to provide, but it's of a different category for the Hebrews author who's really trying to encourage his audience to persevere in faith even though they're not seeing the promise fully realized during their lifetimes or it's taking longer than they have expected it to take. And so that timing there is of great importance. But there are these two examples here, the walls of Jericho falling after they encircled for seven days. Uh, that's a story that we see. Um, technically, we could say the Hebrews author is taking things out of order uh, because the reasoning behind why Rahab is preserved comes before the walls fall. But in historical order, of course, Rahab's actual moment of salvation, her moment of deliverance comes only after the wall has fallen, which is why uh, even though the story of what happens with Rahab that we're going to have to talk about is after is before the uh, destruct, uh, destruction of Jericho, uh, he has put it in the order that he has. Uh, the walls of Jericho fall because Joshua and the people go around it for seven days. You can only imagine how dumb they might have felt going around those walls for seven days. Um, people can march around walls all they want and walls still stand. That doesn't seem to change anything. Uh, the Hebrews author here, though, sees that in this instance, God has given them the victory. And it was by faith. They trusted enough to walk around those walls and to make those shouts and to do what they were going to do. And then God did his thing and they were able to uh, conquer. Uh, it's interesting that no other part of the conquest is mentioned probably because in all those other things, Israel could pretend that their strength of arms had something to do with it because they fought. Uh, with Jericho, there was absolutely no argument. Uh, Jericho did not fall because of how great the Israelites were. Jericho fell because God made the walls fall down. And those were some mighty walls, according to what we found archaeologically. Uh, this is all based upon trust that God was going to accomplish this thing the way that God was going to do it. And it's a reminder for the audience that uh, we need to trust in God and what God is doing and that we trust that he's going to do it. So we might have to do things that seem to us like kind of dumb, like why do we have to keep repeating this over and over again? But it's in the trusting and doing that God uh, will respond and do a mighty thing that will overcome the adversary. And for us to participate in that, we have to participate in the rituals and the behaviors that God wants us to do in order to get to that point. And that is uh, what we see with the walls of Jericho falling. And the faith manifests there. Uh, verse 31 causes all kinds of consternation. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who disobedience because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Uh, and of course, the big challenge that everybody has, but Rahab lied. And this is where we have to really grapple with that. Um, there are other people... Throughout this entire narrative, we have people doing bad things. Uh, they're never shown they're bad things, right? We don't hear about Abraham's lack of faith in his whole telling Pharaoh and Abimelech that Sarah is his sister. Same with Isaac and Rebekah. We don't have the stories of uh, the way Jacob cheated Esau or uh, how Joseph... Uh, got a little uh, high on himself, right? Uh, we don't have Moses killing the Egyptian, and we don't have Moses uh, speaking to the rock. We don't have that emphasized. Because, again, the point of this is not to give examples of disobedience. These are all uh, examples of faith to encourage the Hebrews' audience to persevere in the same kind of faith. 
But it's important to note that none of these people are perfect. And that is going to help us as we try to make sense of how we can talk about people like Samson or Jephthah or David. Uh, because the Hebrews author is not focusing on where they transgressed. He's focusing on where they proved faithful. And to focus on the positive example and not the negative. But with Rahab, it's kind of all caught up together. Which is what makes it so uh, challenging for us. Because when we look at that narrative in Joshua uh, chapter 2, the fact of the matter is that she proves deceptive in order to preserve these spies because of her faith. Because these spies were sent... They came to Rahab's house in Joshua 2, in verse 1. Uh, The king of Jericho was told that men of Israel have come to spy out the land. And Rahab's inn is right in the city wall. Uh, We see this from the way that she's going to be preserved, right? So she is very close to the gates. And uh, there's been this challenge, is she a true prostitute? And the word can be innkeeper, of course, the inns that were being kept at that time were kind of those sketchy places, you know, probably not too different from the, you know, sketchy motels that you can see in different parts of the country, right? Uh, Where you have very seedy people, seedy things going on, and there certainly might have been, you know, payment for sex and things of that nature. And so uh, the king of Jericho assumes the spies are going to show up here at Rahab's, and so he sends people to Rahab saying, bring out these men who have come to you. Uh, They've come to search out the land. Uh, But Rahab had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, they came. Uh, I did not know where they were from. Uh, But the men went out before the gate was closed. I don't know where they went. If you pursue them, you're going to overtake them. And so that's a misdirection. So the soldiers go out to find them, but they're sitting there with Rahab. And when the men go out... uh, the men go out, and the, the spies are, are, are before they're going to sleep. Uh, Rahab comes to them and explains what she has just done and says, I know that Yahweh has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh your God, he is God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, swear to me by Yahweh that, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and will give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So Rahab says, I have just put my life on the line for you. And she's put her life on the line because she has just lied to the emissaries of the king. If it were discovered that Rahab had told them to go out, but actually had sheltered those uh, spies in place, the king of Jericho would have very rightly uh, condemned her to death. And so she is doing this in faith. She has come to the conviction everybody else has, right? Everybody else says, our hearts are melting because we know God's given you this land. To everybody else, that's just kind of a doom and preparation for death. For Rahab, it's this point of action. I'm going to preserve these two, and I'm going to put my trust that I will be delivered because of these two. And then she then tells him, hey, uh, she then sends them out. And now their safety is of her greatest importance because if they do get caught, 
and they tell or they get killed, it's not like uh, Joshua is going to find out uh, that uh, they need to save Rahab, that this commitment has been made. So she is pledging her trust to God. She has demonstrated here more faith in God than most of the Israelites have because she is convinced that God is going to give them that land. And she has acted in that faith by protecting the spies. And it's a powerful moment because she is here no longer, she is a Canaanite, but she no longer is really identifying as Canaanite. She wants to identify as part of the people of God. Uh, this is why in Matthew's Gospel, as Matthew's Gospel begins, we find out that Rahab marries uh, Salmon and gives birth to Boaz, or gives birth to the, pe the, the guy who will eventually father Boaz. Uh, so we see that Rahab ends up in not only Israel, but in Judah and in the Messiah's lineage. And so, yes, Rahab, by faith, does this deceptive thing. And we have to sit in that. And it's that issue where, yes, we are people who are supposed to be of the truth. But the same, the question would come to us if we lived in Germany in 1942 and were sheltering Jewish people and the Nazis came and knocked on the door. We have heard that you have Jewish people. Do you have any? And it would say, yes, they're right over here in the corner. Uh, I, I highly doubt it. And it becomes an issue of what's the faithful response to accomplish God's purposes? Not that we want to make it a habit of lying. And there's a lot of different kinds of lies that we can imagine that certainly would not be commended in this case. But here we have uh, Rahab demonstrate her faithfulness through this misdirection to preserve these men. Uh, and it leads to her being incorporated to the people of God. And the Hebrews author is not pointing out the misdirection. The Hebrews author is pointing out, here is somebody who is not even part of the people of God. Here is a Canaanite. Here is somebody who should be marked for death. But she finds salvation. She finds redemption because she trusts in God and entrusts herself to the people of God and to seek their benefit. And that's where she is such a great, powerful example of faith that the Hebrews author wants to emphasize. Uh, we will continue looking at some of these characters that the Hebrews author mentions quickly and then start really looking at some of the things he mentions in these, these very scatter, uh, rapid fire uh, forms of exhortation that really kind of build up this whole picture of encouraging examples and then we're going to get the payoff at the end. Uh, may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to have those conversations. Mm -hmm.